0: Hey guys, it's Caleb here. With the holidays quickly approaching, we at the Black Tribe wanted to take some time to talk about family. The holidays can be one of the most stressful times with family, and many times as Christians, we want to be great examples to friends, neighbors, and strangers. But at what cost to our own family? Here is the wise, beautiful, and eloquent Lisa Marie Black to help us navigate this most wonderful time of the year. Hey, we finished most of our parenting series. Um, of course, we'll continue on that because we're all about parenting and family and and everything that is is precious in the world. Um, I wanted to talk today about the holidays and family and expectations and um, just being with my students and then of course trying to coordinate Thanksgiving because um, you know we're we're graduating and then um, here in. In Georgia and then we need to head back to Colorado to work and just trying to coordinate Thanksgiving with our our five children and their significant others is gotten kind of crazy. And um, we're already starting to talk about Christmas and where everyone's going to be. And um, I know everyone goes through this and it is a lot easier when your children are small. And you can just put them in the car and tell them we're going to grandma's house on Christmas Eve. It's what we do. I loved that season of life. Um, It was magical. I grew up with magical Christmases. My parents didn't have much growing up, and so they really wanted to make it special for us, and they did. And I know not everybody has had that experience, but I I remember the lights. I remember the traditions that we had. I remember baking cookies and and all the beautiful things that went with that. And of course, I wanted to bring that into my family. And so my first husband and I just kind of continued, and his family had their traditions of Santa on Christmas Eve, and my family was really big on Christmas Day, so we made that work out. And then as all of you that, that know, me know that, that he was killed in an accident. And so I was a single mom for five years. And then I married the, the love of my life and, and my current husband for 20 years now. And, um, we got married with five children all under the age of eight. And so he had the three boys and I had the two girls. And then a couple years later we added Noah. So we had six and, um, I was shocked when I sat our kids down for our first Christmas together and I like, this is what we do on Christmas Eve. And one of the traditions that we had in our family was we would, my mom would make us hot cocoa and we would put it in uh, like a thermos and we'd get in the car and we'd have our pajamas on. And my dad would drive us all around um, the town we lived in, which was a really sweet little town that I grew up in Plymouth, Michigan. And it had just the lights and the old houses and, and it was decorated. And there was a manger scene in the, in the park. And we would just drink our hot cocoa and look at all the lights and It was so exciting because the next day was Christmas and there was going to be all these presents and it was this magical part of my childhood. And so I had done that always with my daughters. And so I sat all the kids down. I said, well, Christmas Eve, this is, we're going to go on a pajama ride and I'm going to make hot cocoa and dad's going to drive and we're going to listen to Christmas music and drive around the city and look at the lights. And my sons said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. (laughs) And then, um, I said, okay, well, what are your family traditions? And they're like, well, we bake a Christmas birthday cake for Jesus. And then we sing him happy birthday. And then we blow out the candles for him because it's his birthday. And my daughters looked at him and said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. We're not doing that. So we realized we had to start all new traditions for Christmas. And obviously I was in a crash course because I was in a blended family with small children very suddenly and, and had to really kind of figure it out as I was going. But if you think about it, everybody's in a blended family all of us add people to our family all the time and all of us lose family members and things are always changing. And anytime that we enter a serious relationship with someone else, their family becomes a part of our life and our family becomes a part of their life, good or bad. It doesn't matter how dysfunctional, how crazy or how amazing your friends, partners, relationship with their family is going to affect yours. And I really had to learn the last few years specifically as my kids started getting older, um, when they started dating, there was a lot of times they were like, I was invited to someone's house for Thanksgiving. Can I go? And my heart would just, I was crushed because I loved the presenting of the food and the cooking together and all. I had this vision in my mind that our table would just get bigger and bigger and bigger as our family grew. It never occurred to me for some reason that pieces of our family would move away and that our children, of course, as they got married, would then have to take on their family's tradition. And I I did have a hard time for a little bit and I did have to really adjust my thinking. But then I thought, what did I need as a young woman? I needed, um, I needed to be able to establish my own traditions for my family and I needed my family to be flexible with that. And I have literally completely And I want you to understand, I started cooking a week before Thanksgiving. I started picking out recipes three months before Thanksgiving. I would literally redecorate an entire room just for that day. I took it pretty seriously. The budget for Thanksgiving was ridiculous that I had to have all these different things for. Um, I started traditions with my daughters and their friends where they would come over two or three days before Thanksgiving. We'd start the recipes and start chopping. and, And it ended up being this beautiful thing. And then actually presenting the food to the family and knowing that I put so much love and heart into it was like the epitome of my year. I just loved it. And I remember the last time I tried to throw it together and our family had gotten so big and our kids had grown. And our dining room was too small and I stayed up all night trying to put different tables together so we could all be together. And I put all the food out and I was like this, I literally changed the color of the walls. I hung lights. I mean, it was so important to me that it was was just this amazing event that people could could enjoy. And I remember, like, I finally brought out the turkey and I was like, ta-da, like, you can all worship me now with this beautiful thing that I've done. And I remember looking at my sons who had grown into men and they were smushed in these little chairs trying to fit all in this room because that was my vision. And I remember looking at my daughters, like irritated that they were on this like corner of the table and they couldn't actually even sit with their siblings or their friends because there were so many people crammed in the room that it wasn't even comfortable. And I thought, I am imposing my dream on everybody else. I need to adjust my dream a little bit. And that's when I really started looking at what really matters. And I think we all go into the holidays with expectations. And anytime that you have unfinished business in a family, and we all do, those things often can escalate during the holidays. You throw some vodka in there, you throw Uncle Harry in there that doesn't always say appropriate things. You throw Aunt Teresa in there who has really strong political views and thinks everybody else is stupid. And there often is going to be fireworks of the not enjoyable kind. And I stopped thinking that I needed to um, really meet everybody's expectations for what Christmas was. And I really needed to stop meeting my own expectations for what it was because it really wasn't about the food for me. It was the fact that there was a family gathering where we were partaking of a meal together and that there were no other distractions and that we were all in the same room was what was important to me. The table was what mattered to me. And it's what still matters to me. I don't have grand ideas. Ideas about what my next 30 years of life are gonna look like, as far as where I live or what the property will look like, but I have an idea of what the table's gonna look like. And the table's really important to me and our family keeps growing. And so my table needs to get bigger and I need to have a room big enough for the table. But I actually never think about my bedroom or my sitting room or anything like that. I just think about the table because what it represents is the coming together and the breaking of bread. And it's really what we were created to do. And it's what everyone's craving. We're all craving this deep intimacy with other human beings. That's why we get married. We want intimacy, but we come with so many expectations that we're Always disappointed because we think other people are going to meet our needs and other people are going to make us happy. And then we're very disappointed. And then this little seed of resentment is often planted. And then a fence comes in and then walls go up and it grows from there. And we we're talking to a couple the other week that is ready to end their marriage after a couple decades. They can't even remember where it started. They can't even remember what events brought them this. They just know that over the years, resentment has grown. Walls have grown up, gone up. They both pushed each other away. They both felt rejected. They both rejected each other. And now here they are in their place where they don't even remember why they fell in love in the first place. It's so easy for those things to happen in family. And... Christmas and Thanksgiving and New Year's day is not the time to take on the family battles. It just isn't. I want you to think about the little kids that are involved in family gatherings and what they're absorbing from them. And I don't think that we need to spend a ton of money. I don't think that we need to make these grand gestures because I think all it does is exhaust everybody and everybody goes broke. But I do think we need to think about why we even do this. Like what? where did this all start? Where, where did we start coming together to celebrate things? We come together when people get married and we have a celebration and we dance and there's food. And something significant is happening in our extended family or in our tribe that we want to celebrate. When someone dies, we come. Come together and we either have a wake or a funeral or memorial service because something significant has happened and we all want to experience it together. And so we create an event where we feel like everyone can express what that is. That's what the holidays are. They're an event where we can all express hopefully the joy that we've all experienced, hopefully the closeness that we have as a family and focus on what really matters. But what is it about the holidays that just sets people off? I was Gary and I had been married literally a month, and my parents had this beautiful home on the side of a mountain. And my sister came out, and my little sister was there, and we're all sitting around the table. And I knew my mom, like me, was really happy. We're all sitting around the table, and we're all partaking of her beautiful food. She was a great cook, and little jabs were happening throughout the dinner. And at the time, I had just turned thirty, and little comments were being made, and. By the time dessert came, I ran in the bathroom and was crying. And my new husband came in and said, what is wrong with you? And I said, did you not hear? everything they were saying to me. Did you not hear all the put downs and the jabs and the the sarcastic comments? He's like, I I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, he hadn't been in that family for 30 years like I had. He didn't have the history that I had. And what looked like innocent joking to him was devastating to me. Now, I was not innocent. I jabbed right back because that's what we did in my family. And it caused a lot of problems that are still there. It's not effective to make a sarcastic comment and think that you're going to change someone's behavior because sarcasm is just anger with a smile. It doesn't actually bring people together. It doesn't actually bring closeness. And that's why you can do a lot of things to me and I can handle it. But when people tease me, I do shut down. I don't like being teased. I don't think it's funny and I try not to do it to other people. And I used to do it to other people because it was done to me. And I thought that's just how people communicate. And I remember saying to my son one time, um, Noah was bullying someone at school and I had no idea because he was the sweetest kid in the world. And finally, when the parents came to me and told me what was going on, I was shocked and I talked to him about it. He was only five at the time and he said, I didn't know that was bullying mom. I just thought that's how boys talk to boys because that's how my brothers talk to me. And we just tend to repeat these things. And it isn't until we're pulled out of our family or someone new comes into our family that we see, hey, maybe this isn't the healthiest way to communicate. Maybe this isn't the healthiest way to do things. And it's an opportunity to grow. But there are those those that history there's that baggage there's the 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 disappointments there's there's jealousy there's all those things that happen in family because family's complicated it's not easy but nothing that's really, truly beautiful or worth having is easy. We're all gonna have to pay some type of price and make some type of sacrifice to make our family successful. And you can't control what other people say. You can't control how they act. You can't control their jabs. You can't control their remarks. You can't control their views on things, but you can control how you respond. Now I look back on that and I realize that their, their little flame was my gasoline. And I mean, when it hit, I ignited and I always, always jabbed back and I could jab back real hard and real fast and take your legs out from under you. And you didn't even know what happened. You just know you felt horrible by what I just said. And I'm just kind of smirking to myself. We do those things to each other and we call it teasing or we call it, we're just goofing around or that's just what our family does. But our words actually have a great deal of power. And I don't really hear anyone talking about their, their family gatherings or their holiday gatherings where somebody did something necessarily as much as what someone says or implied or didn't say. That's how much power our body language and our words have. So what if we went into our gatherings with different perspectives? What if we went And one time there was a big rift between my older sister and I, and it it literally was years of, of cruel things said to each other, grudges held, um, just meanness between the two of us. And she was pregnant with her third child. And I had had this epiphany in my own life that I was actually created to serve other people and make other people great. And when that clicked in me, I realized my purpose for my existing. And I started changing the way I did everything, the way I, talked to everybody, the way I treated everybody. And so when my sister was having a baby shower, I drove 24 hours straight to Michigan because I wanted to serve her in her baby shower. And she didn't know that I'd had this epiphany and that I was becoming a transformed person and I wasn't going to be mean to her. Her guard was way up. Her friends were protecting her from me. She, she didn't really want me around. She didn't know what to do with me. Her husband didn't know what to do with me. He'd only known me fighting with her. He didn't know that, that I realized that I was, I was bringing death into people's lives. And I just committed to the three days that I was there to serve her and love her and serve her and love her. And I had to show her over time that I, of course, an apology came out. Of course, I said, I'm sorry. Of course, she said she was sorry. Of course, we grew up and we decided to forget. We honestly can't even remember. Now, she's one of my best friends in the world and I adore her and I adore her husband and and they're precious to me. But I had damaged that relationship But I never looked at myself, I always looked at what she said to me and I was only responding to it. And as long as I kept that posture, our relationship would have never been healed. And so I had to prove to her over time that I was trustworthy, that I did love her, that I did appreciate her, that I was sorry for the things I said and the way I treated. And now her and I, we don't, we laugh like, what did we used to fight about? Like, what were we so mad about? Because we've just become best friends over the last 20 years. We have to undo the damage by showing people I'm really committed to being better at this and at the same time realize I can't really control any of this. I can't control your perspective. I can't control if you decide to trust me again or like me or agree with me. But you know what? I can sit around with some of my relatives and they have some really strong opinions about things I don't agree with. I have some pretty religious people around me that are pretty judgmental. And they're kind of cruel with the way that they see other people. And I used to be that way. And so I can shut them out completely, or I can just change the subject or say, you know, I don't really I don't really think God's like that. I don't really think God brings horrible things into people's lives to teach them a lesson. I think He's actually a really loving God that gave us free will, and He allows us to make choices. And sometimes other people's choices, there are imposed on us, and we don't have any control over that, and we get really hurt by that. But that wasn't God doing that. That wasn't God's plan. His plan is for life and for His family and to bring His family back. And if we go into these gatherings, into this season with that attitude, that we serve a God who just wants his family back, we can bring our family back. And all I want is my family back. All I want is for my kids to be able to sit around that table again at some point and just love each other and value each other for the the beauty that they all bring to the earth. And let go of the childhood wounds and the hurt. And I know that's not going to happen overnight because it took 20 years for those things to develop. And it's 20 years of comments and 30 some years of, of things being said and things being hurt and rejection going back and forth. But it's happening. It's happening. And I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of the life speaking and the, the edifying and the celebrating and the speaking life about. And we have an opportunity during the holiday season and anytime we gather with our family to stop the negative talking about other people. And it's really hard when you're really hurt by someone And you know, someone else in your family is also really hurt by that person. The first thing we do is gravitate towards that person so we can feed our hurt and so that we can recruit. And so that we can say, yeah, it's all them. They are all the problem. And they are the reason this family is jacked up. But all that's done is build one more wall. And all you've done is made a greater agreement. And all you've done is bring more death into a situation. And so to, to, to pivot that and to choose to speak directly to the person about how they've hurt you and what's happened, and then listen to maybe how you've hurt them and how your response affected them, and then come to an agreement as adults that this is, this is not the way we need to move forward. This happened. We can't change it, but we can move forward and we can be an example. And then resist that temptation temptation to bring other family members into it. I have young men and women in their twenties and thirties that come to me all the time. And they're like, yeah, my house is safe. Like nobody's going to shoot me and no, no one's going to hit me, but I'm not emotionally safe to go home. I have kids here right now that are dreading going home for the holidays because they know the, the the toxicity that's roaming in their family. And one young man came to me and he said, my mom's a really good mom and she really loves us, but she thinks the way that she loves us is sharing our stories with our siblings. And I know I can't trust her. So I can't tell her anything anymore. I think, you know what, babe, you need to go home and tell your mom that you need to give her a chance to change that and say, you know, it isn't everybody's business in this family. What I do, it isn't when I tell you something, I'm telling just you, if we could start doing that in our marriages and our families, it would take a great deal of dysfunction out. But instead we like to kind of bring everybody into it and talk about everybody instead of actually telling the person I was really naive about how sarcastic I was and how mean I was when I was a young woman. I really didn't know until someone told me. And then I had to look at myself and say, well, I'm I'm really responsible for the information now. I really do have a choice to make how I want to go forward with my life and how I want my reputation to play out and what kind of woman I want to be on this earth. We need to allow people to have a chance to grow. Some people aren't even aware of how they're coming across. Some people aren't even aware of the things that they say and the things that they do. And it's not easy to confront but we can do it in a way that, that loves people really well. And we can start our sentences with, Hey, I really love you. You're really important to me. I really want you in my life. I want you in my family's life. I want you in my children's life. There's this way that you talk about, you know, politics, or there's this way that you talk about God that is, I know you're really passionate about it, I know you really believe in it, but I don't know if you're aware that you kind of isolate the rest of us in the room from being able to say anything because you cut us off or you don't really want to hear what we have to say and it's not really a conversation, it's really just you telling us your opinion and so that relationship now is not It's not a ping pong, it's not going back and forth, it's you just saying what you want that person then has an opportunity with what they're going to do with that and and we have an obligation, especially those of us who have young children living at home, not to allow toxic people to be exposed to our children. Our children deserve to have a safe place. We came up with that just this, this week on this camp. We Some of our young men were at a gas station and somebody needed food. And then they wanted to bring them on the, uh, the campus for um, housing. And I loved their heart. I loved that they wanted to help this man. And I always keep cash in my purse for anyone that's homeless or asking for money. I always have $5 bills, $10 bills available just for that reason when I'm just running around the city. And that's, that's what our life is. We always help people that are struggling. That's what we're called to do. But there has to be some type of healthy boundary or margin for a better word of what we're exposing other people to. And we can help people that are struggling without risking the the mental health or the safety of our children. And I do regret looking back on my life, how many people we just brought into our home. Just, we thought that we were just being good people. We just invited everybody. My children should have never had to give up their beds for someone else to sleep in. They should have never had to have any kind of fear because there was a person in their house that they didn't know. They should be able to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night without wondering if someone is in the hallway because your parents brought in a homeless person or whatever. Most of the young people that I work with their violation has come from someone that's known to them or their family. And so I had to have my that conversation again with these young men. I love your heart. I love what you're doing, but we do have children on this campus. We do have um, single females on this campus. We don't know this man. He's not been vetted. And to just give him one of our rooms really would not be wise. It also wouldn't be respectful of the people that we're renting this campus from. And they were great about it. And they came up with a plan B. They found a way to get this man housing. They came together as a team. They started getting creative. We came up with references. We came up with options for this man to help him without endangering the people that were called to protect. And think about that during your holidays. There's think about what you felt like when you were little, think about when your family started yelling and it was Christmas Eve and they were all very passionate about it or very loud. And and we say things like, well, that's just what our family does. What does that feel like to a child though? What does it feel like when the adults around you aren't acting like adults? It brings a lot of insecurity to them. It brings a lot of fear into them. And sometimes we forget that there's these little tiny people that don't have much control and they only can do and say what we allow them to do or say, and they are incredibly vulnerable. That's the beautiful thing about children, but it's also the thing that we have to fight to protect the most. What What do you have to gain? by making sure that Aunt Bertha's feelings aren't hurt, that she wasn't invited to Thanksgiving over what your children are going to be exposed to because of her dysfunction or her alcoholism or her violence or whatever she carries with her. I tried to give my kids a safe place to say to me, I never told my kids when they were little, you have to go hug him, he's your uncle, give grandpa blah, 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 a kiss. I let my kids know they had control over their bodies. You can high five somebody or shake their hand, but I've never made my kids sit on anyone's lap or kiss anybody or hug anybody. It's just that you're telling them that they don't have control over their own body and it's the wrong message that we want to send them. We also, in our family, I'm not into secrets, but I was all about surprises. Like we are gonna have a surprise, this present, you're not gonna know what it is until you open it. A secret is a different thing. Asking children to keep secrets is basically telling them that an adult, this adult can tell you something and you can't tell any other adult. That's not the message we wanna give them either. So switching secrets to surprises is a really healthy way to go because eventually a surprise comes out and everybody knows about it. A secret might be something you're asking them to keep to themselves forever and it might be a really unhealthy thing for them. We have had several extended family members who have the serious drug issues. And um, we have been asked by other people that they come to our family gatherings because they had nowhere else to go. And it was one Thanksgiving was in, incredibly intense with this person. She had taken money at some point from all of our children. She had stolen my identity. She had she had really, um, really, really done a lot of damage. And our, our faith was called into question when we didn't want her to come to Thanksgiving, that we weren't really good godly people because we didn't want her there. And I really stood my ground with that. And I said, you know, this is one of the few times that my family gets to gather around a table with the ages that everybody's at, and they deserve to have a safe place. And the reason this person has nowhere to go is because she has destroyed every relationship in her life over and over and over again. And I am sad for that. And I will leave my heart open to her if, if she's able to turn her life around and show herself to be a a responsible member of society. But At this point, she's a physical, emotional, and spiritual danger to everyone in my home. And I'm not willing to give that up for 20 people because someone wants to eat some turkey. There's lots of places she could go. We could have a separate family gathering with her with just the adults or something. We can figure something out. But there was a year that my son, Michael, our son that passed away came to me. He was about six years old and there was a family member who was just not very nice to him and made him feel really horrible. And he came to me one day and said, mom, does this person ever have to come to our house again? And I took me all of 30 seconds. And I said, no, they don't. If you don't feel safe, if you don't like the way that they talk to you, if you feel like this person is not respecting you as a human being, even though you're six years old, you deserve to be respected as a human being. I'm picking you over them. And I think that we do need to choose our children over our extended families if they don't know how to behave like adults. If you want to make holidays magical, keep the stress out of all the spending and all the debt and all the decorating. Keep it more simple and actually give play people a place to celebrate life and to talk about the good things of the year and talk about the excitement of the coming year and, and bring people in, that bring life to your family and use your times of reaching out to people that are hurting on a different day. It doesn't have to all be on the same day. It can be a different day. It can be a different event. And you can, you can do all those things in your life. You can love strangers really well, but you really need to love your family really well first. And your, your kids, need to know that you're a priority. My kids didn't always know they were a priority. I gave them messages all the time that said, my ministry and the people I'm ministering to are more important than you and they're still hurt about that. And so now I'm going to spend the next 30 of my year, years of my life making sure that they know that they are the priority and they are the most important thing to me and they do matter the most. And hopefully they'll give me an opportunity to do that. But if you can cut that season out of your life and, and save yourself that grief, I would highly, highly, highly suggest that you do that because what matters is the table and the table needs to be a safe place. And I honestly don't care if I see any of my kids on Thanksgiving day, but I am going to make myself available that entire weekend to wherever they are, I will come to them. And I'm gonna celebrate my son that is gonna be at his his um, girlfriend's house because that's probably gonna be his future wife. And I want that relationship strong and I want that good and that's important to them. But I will drive anywhere to see him the next day. And we don't have to have turkey. I just want to be in his presence. And that's what really matters. So change your expectations. Bring life. Speak life and be be a conduit of life and then be a sustainer of life and watch the environment change. Lay down the expectations of the grand things. Think of how many weddings we've all seen that were grand and expensive and stressful and the marriage lasted a couple of days. And think of the people that went to the courthouse and are married for 70 years. It isn't about the events. It's about the people and it's about the table. So celebrate well and enjoy it and take a deep breath. Take a deep breath before you enter the space, before you invite people in, and remember that this is really just about human beings connecting their hearts.